What is up, everyone? Welcome into the Fight HQ podcast as we're here to break down UFC Vegas. 82 goes down tomorrow afternoon inside the UFC Apex. Lock time will be 2 p.m. Eastern time. Main card will start 5 p.m. Eastern time. Of course, I am Jason Foy. That is the fighter Pete Rogers Jr. Here to talk about everything going on with the UFC. Also, we got a Bellator card. I will tell you there is one underdog that I do uh, I do like tonight on the Bellator card. We'll get into that uh, as the show goes on. Also, uh, I will tell you this right now. I know there was already a question in Discord about prize picks there's two plays on prize picks for the ufc car that really stick out to me above anywhere else and well they're on the takedown prop side so we'll talk about that as we go on of course as always appreciate everyone tuning in of course be sure to hit that thumbs up button subscribe to the channel if you're not subscribed to us here on youtube or if you listen to us on the podcasting platforms be sure to give us a rating interview and if you listen to us just on the podcasting platforms hop over to that youtube channel just hit that thumbs up hit that subscribe that'll really help us out a lot and also do want to send a special thanks out to everyone who's been taking advantage of that offer for stochastic has uh for for us and uh that does help help us get keep the show up and going and uh, put a little mo- money in our pockets. That's always a, a nice little thing. And, uh, you know, I come in here on a Friday afternoon, November 17th, and, uh, you know, one of the things I do before the show is I go and look at last week's DraftKings contest. And um, this guy in third, I, I don't know if you heard of this guy, Pete the Heat MMA. Yes, sir. I told you, bro, we're, we're riding a really hot hand right now. And what's up, everybody? So happy to have you guys here. Uh, last week's card was amazing. Uh, Jason and I differed on plenty of fights, um, but you know you, you could see how certain matchups could have gone either way. I was very lucky enough to go 12-0-1 last week, so it was a Kill very, me. very good card for me. And Nazim Sadikov, if he – my mom was screaming at the TV just because my mom <laughs> likes to get into the fights. And my mom was like, you dope, you let him off the hook. And he totally did. He totally let him off the hook and let him back into the fight. And then uh, it was just – it was disappointing after just dominating and getting that 10-8 round or what should have been a 10-8 round. Um, I will say that last week's card was awesome. And, you know, being different from everybody else is important, especially when you can back it up with fight film, trust in your gut, ownership, all the tools that Stochastic has for everybody associated with the MMA product. Um, you know, and – it's okay. Just just like build a set of lineups. Listen to Jason. Listen to me. And also trusting your gut. Um, because I'll tell you what, depending on the week, man, it, we, we got hot hands. And I'm hoping to continue you know, riding the hot hand right here. It's been a, a hell of a stretch for me. And I, I'm definitely different than a lot of people uh, coming into this week. And uh, you know, basically reflecting into the ownership, I'm seeing how like the masses are liking certain people that I'm not necessarily too fond of. Yeah, I mean, great call last week on Diego Lopez where he was able to go out there and just Kondrash, man. I, I was I was talking about this on my show yesterday, and I, and I said, you know, while she's a former champion, when you look at the two major upsets, you know, statistically with the betting odds from last week, I'm like, just Kondrash is probably the bigger upset. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And that's where recency bias, you know, can really influence a line. Um, it can start getting behind a hype machine. And it could also cloud your judgment. And it's really tough to, to back a fighter who's, you know, winless in their past three fights, you know, because it's just you don't know. Are they completely gone from the sport? Are they, you know, what's their confidence like? There's so many X factors that you have to take into, into consideration. My gut was that physicality is a real thing in women's MMA. And when she was able to shrug off some of Mackenzie Dern's takedown attempts and then force her to stand and trade, Despite the development in Mackenzie Dern's game, 
I still felt like she's a fish out of water outside of the big moments in the Angela Hill fight. And uh, that was on full display last week where Mackenzie Dern looked terrible, terrible on the feet, uh, closing eyes and just kind of flailing around. Um, but, I mean, you you got a crazy power puncher in Jessica Andrade uh, who is you know, taking out some of the elite competition within a division and ranked a lot higher. So, um, you know, it's it's just how MMA is, man. You know what I mean? Like you're going to have these tests along the way with your, you know, with your career. Do you pass them? I don't know. It's a gut check, and it's also just a skill check, too, to see where you're at. And congratulations to uh, the two uh, people that took down first place with a tie, had the same exact lineup, Jen Holloway, 30, and also Tristan Carroll taking it down. Their lines were Pahea, Aspinall, Andrade, Lopez, Rebecca, and Salikoff. Congratulations to them. Of course, we do have the contest for this week already up there. You can get that right there uh, in the show notes, so be sure to get into that contest. Of course, we are the score channel, totally free join, great conversation, not just with Combat Sports, but P has done a great job of adding in various channels, whether you want to talk about, you know, the NBA, what's going on with the NBA, NFL, college football, esports, MLB, whatever it may be, it is all there. Of course, that's also a great way to answer any questions you have. Of course, if you th- uh, throw in a super chat here on YouTube, we'll get to those questions as we do go forward. But, P, uh, let's talk, uh, obviously, before we get into the fights, like talk a little bit about game theory here. And, uh, you know, as I was kind of putting my sheet together, I mean, like, one of the things, and, and I was looking at ownership projections, and, and there's multiple fights, I think, you know, you kind of, I figured would have low ownership, but, like, it's causing me to say, okay, maybe I need to take a little bit of a deeper battle. I'll tell you, the one fight that could be, and I don't know, I don't know what the ceiling on this fight is, but, like, when we talk game theory, I think the Nicholas Mata-Trey Ogden fight, when you're looking for leverage, that may be the fight you have to kind of look at and say, do I want to get a little bit more just because there's just not a lot of ownership getting there right now? Yeah, there's not a lot of people getting to the fight, you know. Um, there's a lot of fights on this card. So whenever there's a lot of fights on the card, hopefully nothing falls out. We had a lot of weight misses. I don't know if you saw that right before the show. We had like four or five weight misses um, heading into the event. Uh, But like whenever there's so many fights on the card, you don't have to get that different. Like don't get too cute. Um, It's always nice to leave salary on the table. But whenever there's a larger amount of fights – you could have a 49,900, you know, roster. You could have a 50,000 roster and it still be unique enough because of there's so many so many fights, especially if you avoid the mid-range a little bit. You know, a lot of people are going to flock to that 8379, 82, um, you know, one way or another. And uh, I'm not trying to get too cute. I've been playing just very safe with who I had, you know, I I'm, I'm taking probability and my own probability into constructing lineups and where is their value and where do I think the market's wrong on some of these like I could just tell you right now probably the best pound for pound um best pound for pound play on the slate is Christian Leroy Duncan uh he's in the mid price he's got a short notice replacement in Dennis Tululin uh very favorable matchup for him if he chooses to grapple if he chooses to strike I think his expected win odds are much greater than where his salary is. Um, he should be a 93, 94,000, you know, 9,400 fighter, and he's just not. He's priced in the mid range. So he's a great starting point for a lot of people. It's just he's patient at times and, and somewhat low volume. So you may not get the best score, but you can almost guarantee a win, in my opinion. I think he goes out there and has it's, it's, a, nice, it's a nice winning spot for, for him against uh, Dennis Tolulin. You know, one of the things about the, some of the fires that missed weight today, I mean, they are fires that I was kind of targeting as takedown city. 
potential fighters here on yeah. this card. I mean, so that that kind of sticks out to me. We saw last week Jamal Emmers miss weight, but he still went out there uh, and did his things. And I know you can't wait to break down Chase Hooper and Jordan Levin. I know you can't wait. Jason's Jason's been hounding me about that since the start of him <laughs> noticing that fight was even announced. I don't want to break down that thing. Um, it's just awkward, and you know, it's like a it's like a bad track on a CD. You just hit skip, and, and you know, hopefully it doesn't become a hit, and uh, you don't have to hear it or see it or you know, or anything. And I, I I'm gonna just do that for for this week because I feel like a lot of people are gonna. Be attracted to both sides, right? I mean, pretty safe floor for Jordan Levin with the takedowns. Pretty high volume for Chase Hooper, who looks like he's somewhat developed on the feet. But I just label that fight as awkward, and it sounds like a split decision. So I'm just going to stay away from it. Uh, yeah, I will say this. Uh, and and that dude uh, bringing up about uh, what's going on with Jordan Levin with his wife, uh, due um, four days oh. from from uh, tomorrow. So he's already kind of talked about what happens if uh, potentially oh. she goes into labor before his fight. Say? Uh, he's talking about leaving the arena. I'm, I'm, you know, tell me, yo, I'm so happy you just said that because I'm not rostering that fight now just because after lock, you know how these after lock cancellations happen. Oh, just new into ESPN. We're just here to inform you. Jordan Levitt has had to leave the arena because his wife went into labor. Here's my biggest question about that one. Okay. Did he not tell the UFC this? I know. Come on. I don't know what happens in that situation. I, I'm, I'm just saying. Like, I hope unless he told it's an the, emergency or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope he told the UFC before this. If he did not, I mean, I know the UFC can get railed on this, but that may not work well for you in terms of your next contract if there is a next contract. Yeah. I mean, if it's an emergency, of course, emergencies. Yeah. Yeah, they're in a category of their own, but like. I don't know when I when certain Fridays just don't care too. But if you care enough that you're going to, you know, make sure that you're there and nothing else matters, then give yourself a month. You know what I mean? Like exactly. give yourself a window. Oh, I, I I've had many fighters say to me, said like, look, you know, the UFC gave me a date, but I was like, hey man, my girls do, you know, two weeks either before or after that, and they said like, yes. I, I'm not doing it. I he goes, I, she'll kill me. I can't do that, yeah. you know, yeah. or, or how many fighters talk about how they, they have a fight and then a week later they get married. I'm like, you sure your girl's not worried about the old pictures of you having a black guy? Yeah, exactly. You better hope that fight goes well. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, but I'll say this, like, I, I the, the one thing, and, and before we kind of start getting down to the fights, the other thing for me for game theory was that 7,300 below, I was like, ugh, don't really love much down there. Yeah, I mean, you can make a, you can make the case for a couple. Um, oh, yo, no, I agree. You can make cases, but you don't feel good about it. No, definitely not. Like, I got literally no. I, I know there's going to be people and there's going to be ownership getting to Paul Craig because he does the unthinkable time and time mm -hmm. again. Goes out yeah. there and from the jaws of defeat finds a way to win, reverses position, sneaky jujitsu. Um, unless you just completely KO him or, or just get him out of there, he's live to, to pull off an upset, especially if you have gas tank issues. So I think he's going to be everybody's long shot in, in hopes that he could possibly do enough. And him being at middleweight, I think, is a problem. I, I really do. But I think stylistically, this is not a favorable matchup for him. Um, but yeah, you know, you got a couple options, a couple fighters stepping up in competition, seeing how they're going to do, like a Luana Pinheiro against Amanda Hibas. I think that's too much too soon, personally. But, um, you know, it is women's MMA, and she does have some pop against a susceptible chin 
on Amanda Hebas in, a, in women's MMA that that could be competitive. So uh, Jake Matthews, stud, tons of damage on his body. Um, you know, and there's a couple others. I'm not going to spoil it, but there there is somebody under that 7300 range that I actually like a lot more than the market. And uh, hopefully, I'm onto something. Yeah, yeah. Th- there there are definitely um, you know there are some. I'm interested to see kind of if the Duncan ownership ends up being ultimately higher than what it is. Of course, yeah. Yeah, that that's a fight that went through a, a late uh, change there. So I'll just say this: I hope we do not have any changes uh, right before lock because I'll be on an airplane at that time. So uh, <laughs> my lives will be screwed if uh, we have uh, one or multiple changes. But let's get right into it. Of course, we got the main event: Brandon Allen taking all Paul Craig. Brandon Allen a minus four twenty five betting fair, plus three twenty five for Paul Craig. Uh, Brandon Allen is ninety four hundred on DK, twenty three on Fanduel, and Craig is sixty eight hundred on DK and fourteen dollars on Fanduel. And you know, Pete, I, I just I, I look at this fight and you, you see the boom bust possibility with Paul Craig because yeah. we we know what he can do. But like, I just it's one of those fights, and, and I try not to overanalyze this too much. Like, it's very clear to me who the better martial artist is. Yeah, absolutely. I don't find it a necessity for for roster construction. Um, some weeks I, I absolutely hammer home that you have to have a fight. I don't think you need to. I mean, granted, there's 14 fights. Um, there's plenty of ways to get unique. There's plenty of ways to get 600 points. Um, but do I think that Brennan Allen scores well? I do. I, I think that he is the rightful favorite. Um, he has the better striking, and it's from the legs up. He's not just a guy that throws hands. He throws Solid kicks, good elbows, good knees, just go overall solid Muay Thai. Um, he is the better wrestler in this situation against Paul Craig, who's a, an excellent and sneaky jiu-jitsu artist. But I'm not in love with Paul Craig's takedowns, and it's it's something that I've been saying for a really long time. And you guys know that I have been backing Paul Craig in multiple fights. Um, I picked him against Andre Muniz. I picked him against Nikita Krylov. I, I like him in certain matchups. This is one where I think Brennan Allen just kind of is better in every department. And Brennan Allen, I think, can defend anything that Paul Craig throws at him and you know make him pay. I think that if he does end up in a, uh, a ground position, Brennan Allen's going to have the higher motor, okay? And I think he's going to push a, a faster pace. And ultimately, it's going to lead to a, either a KO or a submission win for Brennan Allen. I don't expect this to go 25 minutes. Um, we have seen Paul Craig get submitted in the past. He's an excellent offensive submission artist, but I do think that Brennan Allen is just the better mixed martial artist here. Um, the one thing I can say negatively about Brennan Allen is that somewhat suspect chin at times. We've seen him get hurt countless times. Uh, Chris Curtis, Sean Strickland. Uh, there is some wear and tear and, and uh, you know wear and tear on the body of Brennan Allen for how young he is in the sport. But I just think that his his fight IQ is a little bit better than than Paul Craig's too. So I'm going to go with Brendan Allen, 9400. I think he scores probably between 85 and 105. Um, anything more than that would be somewhat of a su- uh, surprise. But uh, there's other options that I just like a little bit better. Um, if it does go long, we'll see. We'll see how either either combat and take take the fight. Um, but it, it's a Brendan Allen inside the distance play for me. Yeah, I'm with you there. Inside distance is where I want to go there. And I was actually, uh, I mentioned on my show yesterday, one of my best bets for this one is Brandon Allen wins by TKO KO, just because I, I just don't think he's going to play jiu-jitsu. By the way, they, they had the uh, ceremonial um, stare-downs. Oh. 
Yeah. Oscar Willis tweets out the video of these two guys staring down. Brandon Allen's comment to uh, Paul Craig, bro, just bring that same energy tomorrow. Don't be pulling guard. Yeah, he's going to pull guard. Um, <laughs> but that, that's where, like, you know, some some weirdness about it. Paul Craig initiates a takedown, realizes, you know, that Brendan Allen has, you know, good defense, very strong, falls to his back. Now you don't have Brendan Allen getting awarded the takedown, gets the top control, though, which could, you know what I mean? Like little things like that make the difference in a GPP. So that's why I'm I'm fine with getting, going elsewhere. I'm also fine attacking, you know, the Brendan Allen side just, just because I do think it's a pretty safe fight for him. And a nice little step in maturity within his career. Yeah, over at Prize Picks, don't really love any any of the props on Brandon Allen. Significant strikes, thirty and a half. Fight time, seven and a half. And his fantasy score is one seventeen and a half. If I was going to attack any of those three props, um, it would probably be the fantasy score. Uh, that probably would go there. But I, I really don't love any of the props over there. And uh, one of the comments in the YouTube chat was Paul Craig is pure boom, no bust. Yeah, look, it's he, he's like Paul Craig's like a heavyweight. Either he's yeah. getting you 115 points or he's getting you 15. Yeah. I, mean, I, I feel I like, like there's Paul no Craig. there's no middle ground. Yeah, I like Paul Craig. He's made me a lot of money. Um, but, like, I just don't think this is the matchup for him. If you get aggressive, you prioritize main event, co-main event underdogs, this could work out really well for you because uh, I think Brandon Allen is going to be very, very popular. Um, but I, I think it's justified. Co-main event, of course, in the welterweight division is going to be Michael Morales taking on Jake Matthews. Matthews is a plus 250 betting underdog, minus 310 for Morales. Morales is 9100 on DK, $19 on FanDuel. Matthews, 7100 on DK, and $12 on FanDuel. It's, it's interesting you just bring up that comment because I was thinking about this earlier today, and you know, you, you talk about it every week on the show is you know looking at prior, prioritizing those underdogs in the main event, co-main event, and I was like, God, I really don't love either one of these underdogs. Yeah. I don't either. Not this week. Other weeks I do. Um, I don't. I'm surprised this is the co-main event. But when I look at the rest of the card, I'm like what? What else would have been there? I, for me personally, it'd probably be Jonathan Pierce, Joiners, and Brito. But um, you know, I think the name of Jake Matthews probably holds the most value on the rest of the card. So it, it does make sense, and it's a nice little spot for Michael Morales to possibly shine. I think the hands are. A, a big, big danger for Jake Matthews. His durability is in question because he's been hit, hurt countless times. Um, you know, he, he does not deal well with power. And even Darius Flowers in their previous bout was having su- success. And that was a guy I was not, I had literally no hopes of doing anything to Jake Matthews. Um, and Jake Matthews just kind of has to dig himself out of a hole every now and again. I think Michael Morales completely you know, outclasses Jake Matthews here. The X factor is the wrestling of Jake Matthews. If if Jake goes in there and laces up those wrestling shoes, we could see an interesting fight. And I think that's his best path to victory over a lot of people within the division. It's just the low volume takedowns are not going to cut it. He needs to go out there and replicate what he used to do. Four of seven takedowns against Emil Meek. Um, four of 11 takedowns of, against Bojan Velikovic. Like that's a long time ago. But like that to me, that's his skill set. This turning into an outside kickboxer when your durability is in question, I just don't like it. I think Michael Morales hits too damn hard. I think he's strong. I do think that he has solid takedown defense as well. Just stuffed seven takedowns. Well, not just, but seven takedowns against Adam Fugit. I just think that Michael Morales is underpriced, truthfully. He's 9,100, 
whereas Brendan Allen's 9,400. But I, I, I could see because of the, the five rounds. But I think as far as safety goes, I think Michael Morales is a nice little piece if you have enough salary to get to him. Yeah, he's actually uh, one of the guys I really like. I mean, one of the things that I really don't like about Jake Matthews is kind of that low volume that he does bring here. Yeah. Um, as I look at our prize picks, the, the fight time of 10 and a half minutes is the one that sticks out to me. I, I think this thing's going 15 minutes. I don't know if you're, you're – I just – I feel like this thing's hitting, hitting the third round and uh, just because of kind of the durability of Jake Matthews you know, throughout his career. So that's actually one of uh, – it's not one of my top two prize picks plays. I'll tell you, there, there's uh, very much uh, early on in the card are some prize picks plays I like there. But, uh, but yeah, it's uh, – I will say this. When I was just hand-building lives trying to, you know, find some nice combinations, I did find myself getting to Brandon out a little bit more just because I, I like his uh, – his inside the distance possibilities more than I like the Michael Morales inside the distance possibilities. Yeah. I, I like Michael Morales truthfully to finish Jake Matthews. And there was a time where Matthews was durable. And on paper, if you see a lot of, th- you know, three rounds or in the third, he gets finished. Um, I don't know, man. I, I think like it's gotten worse. So I almost think it's like, if you're viewing it on paper, it's somewhat of a trap. I could be wrong and I could be off, but uh, I think that Michael Morales Michael Morales knocks him out inside of two rounds. Um, okay. Okay. So I think that's playing with fire a little bit. But 9,100 is a, a hell of a price tag for Michael Morales. Next up, we got the, the matchup that Pete just cannot wait to talk about. That is Chase Hooper taking on Jordan Levitt. Uh, Chase Hooper at minus 210 betting fair, plus 175 on Jordan Levitt. He actually could have got a better number on Chase Hooper earlier on this week. Uh, Hooper, 8800 on DK, $18 on FanDuel. For Jordan Levitt, 7400 on DK, $12 on FanDuel. I mean, look, it's – I mean, all jokes aside, this is – like when you look at this card and you start trying to point out the fights that you just – you're uncomfortable with. Rostering. I think this is this is that fight this week that overall, I think this is Chase Hooper's fight to lose. I really do. But like, do I have uber confidence that he's going to go out there and win as a a eighty eight hundred fighter on DK? I don't beat. Yeah, I, I don't understand the love for it. I just don't understand the love for the matchup. I think that it's a pretty even fight, to be honest. Um, the volume will side with Chase Hooper. The speed too. The power and the strength, I think, resides with Jordan Levitt. And the issue is if Chase Hooper does get taken down or results in getting put on his back, I actually think that he's at risk for getting controlled for a large majority of the fight. Um, Jordan Levitt's a savvy jiu-jitsu practitioner similar to Chase Hooper. On the feet, I, it's terrible. Uh, it's horrible. The, the volume and the development from Chase Hooper in his previous fight is what's leading to that line somewhat getting steamed. I just, whenever, this is how I'm doing it, right? If I'm in a 150 max and I'm playing a ton of lineups, of course I'm going to be aggressive on one side or another. Um, But, like, if I'm doing small, limited amount of lineups, which is kind of what I pivoted to, um, and then I just put those lineups everywhere, I don't know if I touch this fight. It it, kind of leaves me with an uneasy feeling in my stomach and... Sometimes you have to be willing to risk it for the biscuit, and I'm not with this fight. If I'm wrong on this fight, okay, so be it. But I just don't see how, given the price tag and given everything I've seen, on paper, 112 against Daniel Tamer, 142 against Felipe Colares, and 120 against Nick Fiore. I could be off. This guy could break the slate, and maybe that's why there is ownership coming in on him. 
But I do think that people are under, underestimating Jordan Levitt's takedown ability and his uh, and his strength. I mean, four and a half minutes of control time against Patty Pimblett, five minutes of control time against Trey Ogden, and now you have a jiu-jitsu guy in Chase Hooper who is put on his back countless times. He's going to sweep out of it, and he's going to you know look to, to reverse positions, which can definitely boost his totals. But I just think it's a little too risky for me, and this does seem like a greasy fight. Then you throw in the excuse of uh, Jordan Levitt possibly having to leave the arena, say no more. I didn't want to play the fight to begin with. Now I'm not playing it at all. Good luck to you if you are. But I, I do think that Chase Hooper wins a decision here. Uh, just does has better moments on the feet. I think he cuts Jordan Levitt open with an elbow. Um, and then the damage kind of resides in uh, in Chase Hooper's direction. Yeah, I'm I'm on the Chase Hooper side of this equation here, and that's uh, you know one of the the props I've highlighted prize picks is actually the fancy score on Chase Hooper at eighty and a half. I like going more eighty and a half. I think he in, in a victory he's going to clear that number. And, I mean, it just tells you. I mean, you look at prize picks that's put the fight time at fourteen and three quarters. It tells you what right. prize picks thinks is going to happen with this fight. Uh, but you know, it, it's just a you don't. I mean, look. When we talk, we're talking about one fifty-five is the deepest division in all of, of martial arts. We we know that it's been that for a long time, and it's going to continue to be that. And this is the lower end of the one hundred fifty-five pound division to me. I mean, lower third uh, of it. I mean, it's just and and. But you also like the one thing is and not not to try to rail on Chase Hooper, but you, the guy's only what twenty-four years old. I mean, he's still. Yeah. It, it's just like I, I really. It's one of those things, and, and I see this happen a, a lot over the past couple of years, where I just think fighters are rushing to get to the UFC, and they're not taking the time to develop their skills. And, and I just think that Chase Hooper is one of those guys that was just rushed there. And, and that's where, like, I, I get that there's this, you, you want to get that Dana White Contender Series money because it's a nice damn paycheck. You know, it yeah. is. I mean, you, you go out there and win, you just made $10,000. 5000 to show, 5000 to win. <laughs> Go find me a guy on the regional scene that's making $10,000 a fight. Yeah, it's not very rare. I, I think the issue, you know, and, and I fought I fought in Bellator. I've never fought in the UFC or, or Dana White's Contender Series. But what I can say is a goal to me and how I view it is I don't hold as much value for people that make it into the UFC in 2023. I hold value in people that can stay in the UFC for a while because we see all these short notice and last minute replacements. They get their shot and then they're one or two and done. Like you do a favor, like you take a terrible matchup, you take a couple terrible matchups and you're out of there. Um, so I, I, I don't know, man. Like to me, it was never about getting to the UFC. Is if you do get in the UFC, can you stay there? Can you stay within a big promotion? Um, and to me, that's what, what I hold value in and – yeah. Um, it's it's hard to do. It's it's one of the hardest things to do in in the sport of mixed martial arts, of course, and just in all sports in general. But uh, that that's kind of my mindset in 2023 because we've seen all sorts of fighters that UFC level competition is not what it used to be, in my opinion. There's just too many people on the roster. Yeah, I mean, and, I mean, look, me and you've had this conversation. It's it's yeah. it's about. No matter what your skill set is, whether you're a wrestler, you're a striker, a grappler, whatever it may be, it's about finding those right matches. Finding those right matches to put yourself in a good position. And there's just there's sometimes I see, especially on the regional scene, and I'll see someone that particularly that I know, and I know what their skill set is, and I'll see the matchup, and I'll go, "Man, why did you take that fight? 
Like that's not, yeah. you know, it, it's about having those people to guide your career in the right way. And there's sometimes some fighters get in the UFC. I just go, oh man, it's not really a good position. Let's move over next up. We got a matchup where we got a nine to one betting favorite, Peyton Talbot taking on Nick Geary. Geary plus five fifty. He's six seven hundred on DK. Eight dollars on Fanduel. Peyton Talbot is ninety five hundred on DK. Twenty two dollars on Fanduel. Pete. Yeah. So I mean, you have two young guys, right? And two young guys. Sometimes you shouldn't have a line this overblown in Peyton Talbot against Nick Aguirre. Nick Aguirre coming in here, um, you know, off a of Dan Argetta short notice fight where he got completely dominated. Um, Nick Aguirre is a solid, tricky grappler. Peyton Talbot's a legitimate prospect, in my opinion. Legitimate prospect. I think this kid is so talented, and as long as he stays in MMA, he can be be successful. He, he's already talked kind of like. You know, fighting doesn't define him. It's just something he does. So I think that's an interesting way to look at your career and everything. But everything I'm seeing for this kid, Jason, you know, I got a good eye for it. All right. And, and I'm going to, you know, hold, you know, raise my victory flag with Tom Aspinall just doing it. And I've been back in Tom Aspinall since, before, you know, the very first UFC fight and saying this guy has championship aspirations. Said the same thing about Hamza Shemaev. I don't know if I hold Peyton Talbot to the same type of degree, but I think he's really, really, really damn good. Um, the pace that he pushes breaks his opponents. The volume he possesses is crazy. He's going to outwork everybody in there. If you if you think that you're just going to go in there and stand with him, you're going to hit three, four to one. The diverse combinations, the um, you know, just mixing it up to the head and the body. He does not discriminate. He's going to attack you to the body, and he's going to just find openings everywhere. I really like this kid, Jason. I'm being serious. I really like this kid. This kid's got, like, star vibes to me. He really has, like, star vibes to me. He, You know, he's been taken down, you know, on the regional scene, and that's clearly what Nick Aguirre needs to do in this matchup. So long shot underdog Nick Aguirre, could he do enough even in a loss? I just don't think so in a loss because there's 14 fights. I think you need six winners this week. But uh, Peyton Talbot, I think he's my favorite 9,000 option. And if other people are going elsewhere just because they don't know about the kid, I understand it's a hefty price tag. Does a first-round finish probably come? I say a second-round finish. But up until that second-round finish, there's going to be – he might throw 200 significant strikes Mm -hmm. and could get a couple knockdowns. The the, the kid's pace is ridiculous. And – I like him here at 9,500. He's one of my most confident plays on the slate. Uh, he, it, Yeah, I, he is my most confident play on the slate, and uh, I just really like him. So if if the masses are going away from him because of the price tag, because of his age, whatever it is, I'd rather be early than late. So give me Peyton Talbot here at 9,500. Um, he might be in almost all my lineups. Yeah, if you look over uh, on prize picks, we have uh, two props up on him. Uh, fight time, nine and three quarters. Also, that's a fancy score of 114 and a half. If he starts getting those knockdowns like Pete's just talking there, that 114 yeah. and a half, that may be something that he absolutely slays over there. Next up, we got a female matchup. Amanda Hebos taking on Luana Pinheiro. Pinheiro is a plus 200 betting on her, minus 245 for Hebos. Hebos, 9000 on DK, $19 on FanDuel. And for Luna, she is 7200 on DK and $11 on FanDuel, Pete. Yeah, I just think this is a big step up of competition for Luana Pinheiro. I just don't see how it's going to happen. I mean, uh, her previous bout against Michelle Waterson, you know, it was close. It, it was close. A lot of people didn't think that she won that fight. Um, she had poor accuracy, 
threw 122 significant strikes, landed 44, um, attempted five takedowns, was unsuccessful, defended one takedown, only had a minute of control time. Outside of landing a big shot on, on Amanda Hibas, I just do not see it. And you could totally land a big shot on Amanda Hibas, whose durability has been in question. But, like, Macy Barber just did it. I don't think that Luana Pinheiro is on the same level of intensity as Macy Barber, as Marina Rodriguez. I just don't see that. I I, I don't see it at all. Um, so I, I'm back in Amanda Hibas here at 9,000. I, I think that her top game, if it does hit the mat, it's just going to be too much. She's got very good judo. Uh, Luana Pinheiro is is very skilled as well. But I still think that Amanda Hibas is just that vet lesson. And I think she's going to give Luana Pinheiro a, a vet lesson here. Does she score well? I don't think she scores more than 95 points, truthfully. Um, but, I mean, I say that. And then I look and I just see she scored 115 against Viviani Araujo. And that was largely due to eight and a half minutes of control time. So maybe Amanda Hibas is the contrarian 9,000 option that a lot of people won't click on. But I think that has all the skills to smash when it comes to the DFS slate. So I'm personally, I like other 9,000 options better because of their finishing upside. But I can see why somebody would say they pivot to Amanda Hibas, save some salary in hopes that she has a, uh, you know, a ceiling performance against Luana Pinheiro. And you look at her takedown prop over on prize picks is one and a half. Uh, fantasy score, a two and a half. Uh, significant strike is 70 and a half. So, uh, I mean, I, I probably would look more at that, that takedown prop of one and a half more than anything else. Uh, but not one of my favorite plays over there. Uh, next up, we got a matchup where this is a fight that came together this week. Uh, Urus Medic getting a late notice replacement here in Orobai. Orobai coming over from LFA. Uh, you can check out, I was uh, watching some of his stuff over on, on Fight Pass earlier on today. And of course, so because of the late notice change here, that's why the, the pricing is funky here. Uh, you know, Medic yeah. A900, uh, A400 for Orobi. Orobi is a betting favorite here at minus 148 plus 124. And uh, y- you know what the rule on this fight is, right? Let's hear it. You don't let friends put Alaska FC fighters in their lineups. Well, you know what, Jason? I might break that rule. And the reason I'm going to break that rule personally is because – Stepping up on short notice is a tough thing to do. Never mind stepping up in, on short notice. I guess the, a developing power puncher and power striker in Uros Medic. Um, I think that Miktibek Orobai is a very solid fighter. Um, you know, I think that his wrestling is clearly his best skill set. And that is a deficiency, a part of Uros Medic's game. So Miktibek Orobai on the LFA scene, on the regional scene, he lands knockouts. Uh, and it's because of the threat of the takedown, and he has some sneaky pop in his punches. So, like, I, I get it why people would want to get to him. He fought a couple weeks ago, so the guy's probably still in shape. Um, but, like, when I'm watching fight film, Jason, this guy gets hit with a lot of shots. And I'm I'm seeing, like, these guys that I don't, I don't view on the same level as Uros Medic's striking. And they're touching the chin of Orobai. And, you know, he's taking the shots well. But I just think the power of Medic, the angles, the length, and just the diverse striking of, of Medic puts him in a very, very interesting spot. Probably the most interesting spot on the slate. And I will say that because nobody's going to want to touch an underdog who's priced more than the favorite. 
naturally people are going to pivot and they're going to go to the favorite who's $500 cheaper. Mictibek oral buy, despite all the X factors stepping up on short notice, having to cut weight, dealing with all the tra- dealing with everything. He's $500 cheaper and people know that he has takedown upside and Medich traditionally struggled with that. So I'm going to be different and I'm not being different just for the sake of being different. I just think it's a lot. It's a lot for a guy to step up and uh, it's the striking elements on Fightful that I'm seeing scratching my head and I'm going, dude, I think that Medich sleeps him. I think Medich knocks him out. I think he hits him with a big, big hook uh, behind the ear and then it leads to a finishing sequence. And Medich's grappling has improved. His takedown defense has improved. Um, you know, that win over Matthew Semmelsberger looks really good. And I just think the power difference is crazy in the fact that he's a southpaw. So give me Uros Medich as probably the best leverage play on the entire slate as the underdog priced at 8900 whereas his opponent, who's the favorite, is $500 cheaper at 8400 So... Yeah, give, give me uh, give me Uros Medic here at eighty nine hundred. That's the play for me. I love the fact that you brought up the leverage thing because that, that's the first thing that really yeah. sticks out to me about Medic. And, and you know, I talk about this every week, and, and, and primarily I talk about with the nine thousand fighters. But I think you can include that you know eighty nine hundred, eighty eight hundred fighters. Is who is that fighter just not getting that ownership? That could be that 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 fighter that takes you from a middle of the pack to right into the top percent of, of that field. And, and Medic may be uh, that guy this week. Uh, next up, we got JSP taking on Joe Anderson Brito. JSP a minus one twenty five betting favorite, plus one hundred five. For Brito, Brito seventy hundred on DK, fifteen dollars on Fanduel, and for JSP, he is eighty four hundred on DK and sixteen dollars on Fanduel. Pete, yeah. So you know how I want to avoid the Levitt Chase Hooper fight. You know, I avoided a couple fights last week. I can't remember who I avoided, but I avoided a couple of ones where I was just torn and said, "Screw it. If I'm wrong, it's okay." But I'd rather put as many sure things in my lineups as possible. This is one where you're going to be on the edge of your seat one way or another. So, like, I don't think you can feel good about a, a JSP, you know, fighter in, in, in your lineup. I don't think you can feel good about a Joe Anderson Brito build in your lineup. But I'll tell you what, the pace of this fight might be slate-breaking. This literally might be slate-breaking pace. Um, Joe Anderson Brito goes out there and guns blazing from the opening bell. He, he goes out there hunting the finish. He initiates heavy grappling. He initiates power shots. He has the power to knock out JSP really, really quickly. And I think JSP can be hit on the feet, especially if he gets taxed. But the X factor in this is the pace and the wrestling pressure that JSP possesses. I think he can break Joe Anderson Brito. I think as long as he can withstand the early flurry, and not get killed by a shot, and a, a big shot to really just, before he even gets out there and he gets caught cold. I think JSP is going to weather the storm and dominate on the mat and completely break the gas tank susceptible Joannis and Brito um, over the course of 15 minutes or just before the fight uh, ends. I, I think that we could have a late stoppage or a dominant decision where JSP just is too much. That pressure, that wrestling pressure, top pressure, just good grappling skill set being a little too much for Joe Anderson Brito. But on the flip side, I think Brito is one of the best underdogs given his early finishing upside. And just like he is talented in the submission department. We have seen JSP put in some compromising grappling situations 
fighting out of you know guillotine chokes and darsh chokes and Jorian Asimbrito has the power and the skills to finish a JSP. I, I, it's it's a fight where if you really don't feel confident one way or another, just just avoid it, and hopefully, uh, you know you, you can just not be killed with your lineup spice by the winner getting 120. But for me, it's JSP at 8400. Yeah, no, I mean it's one of these things about, and I kind of feel like in terms of, of GPPs, it's a fight that you really got to prioritize. You know, I was looking at the the fight time of ten minutes uh, on JSP, kind of thinking that if he is able to use that, that grappling base, yep. that we can go over ten minutes. That's kind of the ones that stick over there. By the way, uh, huge huge shout out to uh, whoever just uh, took uh, the advantage of the NBA Sims Max Monthly over Stochastic using our code. Much appreciated. Much appreciated. Very Thank much so appreciated. Much. So, Thank you uh, so much. Just got that email in, so I, I appreciate who and that, and that's a great way to show your support uh, for what me and Pete do every week here. Of course, uh, no, we will not be here next week because we have no UFC event next week because of the Thanksgiving holiday. But of course, uh, we get back uh, rolling there with that Dariush and Sarukian card on December second, which would not be at the Apex. It's in Austin, Texas, so it'll be a fight card in front of fans there. Next up, we got uh, Jose Johnson taking on Chan and Hallager. Hallager is a plus 170 betting underdog. Minus 200 for Jose Johnson. Johnson, a 700 DK, $18 on FanDuel. And for Ann Hallager, he is 7500 DK, $13 on FanDuel. And this is one of those ones that uh, a fight that I circled just because of a leverage play and really looking at Jose Johnson in this position, Pete. I think Jose Johnson is going to be really popular. And I think on paper, when you look at everything, the metrics, he's huge in comparison to Chad and Helliger here. I might be on an island this week, Jason. I think I am on an island. And I'm okay with it. I personally think that so much ownership and the money is going to be on Jose Johnson. And I think it's a trap. The reason I think it's a trap is, yes, he has a massive seven and a half, whatever it is, reach advantage over Chad and Helliger. He has good straight punches. He has good power. Um, his best attribute is out striking people from the outside and and knocking them out. Chad and Helliger has not been knocked out. Um, Chad and Helliger has been submitted like four or five times within his career. But a lot of that is early on within his career. He's really rounded out his jiu-jitsu and, and focused on it. And being a, a fellow gym owner, he he's spreading his knowledge and he's teaching people. And I tell you what, man, it levels you up. Once you become an instructor or a, a head coach, it really levels you up, especially when you understand what what needs to be going through into a fight camp. Um, I've also listened to some interviews and I've watched a lot of fight tape. I'll tell you what, man, Jose Johnson gets stung with so many hooks in his fights and whether it's over the top of his straight punches or in the middle of a combination, he's there. He's like waiting for the receipt after he throws his combination. He does not exit. He does not get his head off the center line. I personally think that Chad N. Helliger has some of the sneakiest pop that I've seen in a while. And it doesn't make sense, but when he touches people on the chin, man, they fall down. You saw it against Jesse Strader. You've also seen it on Dana White's Contender Series. Um, you know, he he went in there against Haley Alatang. I get it. Haley's a really tough fighter. Um, but I'm different than everybody this week. I think the love's coming in on Jose Johnson, and I understand the reach and everything. But I think from Chad fighting bigger opposition for the most part within his career as an undersized bantamweight, He's going to press the action. He's going to get in the face of Jose Johnson, and he's going to make Jose Johnson's straight long attacks be limited. And I think Jose is going to result in exchanging hooks, and I think he's going to get caught. 
the one issue is if Chad and Helliger somehow takes him down and and gets triangle choked because we do see that Jose Johnson has sneaky jiu-jitsu off of his back. But yeah, I'm picking I'm picking Chad and Helliger here at 7,500. And uh, I think that he finishes Jose Johnson, who's a guy who's had a ton of losses within his career. I'm not sold on it. I'm back in Chad and Hilliger here at 7,500. And if I'm alone, so be it. I already see that I'm going to have a, a, an awesome play with ownership. And I'm willing to be wrong here. Yeah, I'm on the other side. I, I just, It's all good. I, I mean, look, it's obviously it's lower level competition in this division. But I'm just not, I'm not a big Chad guy. I'm just not. I just okay. and I think this is a Jose, personally for me, you know. I mean, after last week, yeah, probably go with Pete because Pete was you know spot on last <laughs> no, week. No, I that's mean. how it is, bro. No, that's how it is. But like sometimes I'm on the opposite opposite yeah. side of Jason, and then like you know shout each other out when we're right and when we're wrong, and just like it is what it is. I'm just telling you from the fight film I'm seeing, I see Jose Johnson get stung with hooks, mm-hmm. and then his legs kind of go out from him a little bit. He maintains his composure, but. You know, Mana Martinez planted him with a straight right hand and knocked him out relatively easy. And if, if Chad and Helliger has one thing, he's got sneaky pop. Yeah. Well, I think we're not going to disagree on this next fight. That being Chris Duncan taking on Dennis Tulun. Tulun is a plus three sixty betting underdog, minus four seventy four. Duncan, uh, Duncan eighty five hundred DK. I uh, did not see any prices on Fanduel yet on the on this one. Uh, Tulun is sixty eight hundred on DK, and uh, I mean, look. Eh. The 8500 price tag on Duncan here just sticks out to you a ton, Pete. Yeah, it, it's an awesome play. I mean, uh, Duncan's a great play. Uh, he was training for a much more difficult matchup against a complete kickboxing killer. Um, so I, I think with him being the better MMA fighter in that situation, as a coach, we're incorporating takedowns a part of our game, despite Christian Leroy Duncan being an excellent striker. Like, dude, you're the better MMA fighter. Mix it up. Um, we've seen him go to the takedown well in the past in his regional fights. Um, it's a it's an element of his game that he's definitely developed and worked on. And I do think that all that training for for incorporating takedowns. Now I, I'm not in the camp, but I'm just I'm ex, I'm guessing right now. This is what they were doing. It really carries over well against a guy in Dennis Tululin who is not really good at defending takedowns, but can get up when he's taken down. Um, and has a clear deficiency in the in the jiu-jitsu department, despite that Tululin now is a part of an American top team for the last you know couple months, last year or two, whatever it's been. I just feel like there's certain – he's just a guy. He's just a guy. He's a willing dance partner for a lot of the UFC division, and I just don't see him having the the superior skill set to win a lot of, a lot of these matchups. Christian Leroy Duncan's a hype machine for sure, absolutely. But I do think he's legitimate, and uh, I think that priced, you know, mid-priced, it's a wrong. It, it, like his ownership, whatever it is, it needs to be more because he's going to go out there and he's going to get a win. It's just how does he score? Mm-hmm. I think he scores really well. He's a very safe play, and there's not much else I need to say about that fight. But Christian Christian Leroy Duncan is a, a slam dunk play this week. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm exactly with you there. It's just to me, it's just a matter of uh, you know, d- does he hit that 100 point uh, or right. or not? And obviously, you're you're hoping that he does there. Next up, we got Machado taking on Parkin. Parkin is a minus 385 betting fair, plus 290 for Machado. Machado 7,000 on DK, 10 dollars on Fando. If for Mick, he is 9,200 DK and 20 dollars on Fando. And this is another fight that you look at, and from a, a leverage aspect, not a, a ton of overall ownership in this matchup. 
No, there's not. And again, I might be on an island. I just don't get the Mick Parkin love. I just, I really don't understand. Um, pretty big guy, mediocre at best. I just don't like the Jamal Pogues fight. I, I never really thought Pogues was all that great either. But he, he pulled it out. He was priced as an underdog. You know, threw 156 significant strikes, landed 95, defended the takedown. You know, he was just okay. He scored 68.6. The fight film is just not impressive to me. I, I'm just not sold on this guy, Mick Parkin. And then you talk about the heavyweight division, which is a volatile division. Yeah, he's a training partner of Tom Aspinall. I'm a Tom Aspinall supporter all the way. You guys know this. But that's not going to make me pick a guy. You know what I mean? Like it's not—he's not Tom Aspinall. He's a training partner of Tom Aspinall. Um, you know, will, will it instill confidence in him? You know, of course. Seeing Tom do well, you know, could he? It, it definitely helps training with Tom. But you—if you're getting beat up by Tom all the time—I don't think it really matters. Uh, Kyle Machado here at seven thousand, I think, is a misprice, and I think the misprice is just because of the unknown factor. Tough to find fight footage on this guy. Um, you know throw through it a pretty high volume on Dana White's contender series. And uh, he's a southpaw. He's a big southpaw. Naturally, I'm going to edge towards a lot of southpaws in a close matchup. And I view this matchup a lot closer than what the odds are saying. He's a southpaw with good Muay Thai, whereas Mick Parkin predominantly just gets his work done with his hands. We're, we're, we see Kyle Machado look to incorporate, you know, clinching. And he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt as well, where Mick Parkin can get takedowns for sure. But I just feel like the jiu-jitsu factor, the scrambling of Kyle Machado, I'm picking him here. I'm picking Kyle Machado to beat Mick Parkin. And do I think it's a finish? Not necessarily. I think it could literally be just a, you know, a little bit more volume for the big, rangy southpaw who's going to throw you know, chopping low kicks and straight punches and when he gets into a flurry a lot of people answer with two punches a lot of you always see people answer with two punches or one punch when Kyle Machado is answering a combination or countering it's like three to six punches which I think is impressive because it's usually the tail end of the combination that that leads you to victory so I just I think there's tremendous value on Kyle Machado um you know if Mick Parkin goes out there and just completely you know, Molly Wops him. Obviously, I'm going to be on, on the outside looking in. But given the landscape of the, the heavyweight division and everything I'm seeing from Machado, I don't know why he's so underpriced. I think it's the hype machine behind Parkin, and I just don't get it. So give me Kyle Machado here at 7,000. Yeah, and over at Prize Picks, uh, they've got uh, for uh, Mick uh, 39 and a half significant strikes, 10 minute fight time, and a fantasy score of 110 and a half. Uh, the, I will tell you this: uh, my my two fair uh, Prize Picks plays are coming up in a couple fights coming up here, uh, but okay. this is definitely not one of them. Let's move over next up. We got uh, Lucas Alexander, who is a six to one betting favorite, 9300 DK, 21 dollars on Fanduel. Take on Sergey, who is uh, plus 425, 6900 on DK, and nine dollars on Fanduel. Yeah, so, I mean, Lucas Alexander's in an awesome spot here. I think he's going to shine. He's training with uh, one of my striking coaches when I was out in New Mexico. Um, crew Dom. Dom is awesome and uh, owns a Muay Thai and Mixed Martial Arts Academy down in Florida. Um, you know, really, really phenomenal Muay Thai coach. Phenomenal. You even seeing Chidi and Jikawani starting to work with him. 
uh, Phil Rowe has been working with, with Crew Dom and uh, I, you know I love working with Dom. Dom's awesome and, and we you know I, I'm gonna back him because I see tremendous development in Lucas Alexander from regional scene to short notice replacement against Joannis and Brito to then dominating Steven Peterson who I thought had a significant wrestling and grappling edge. That was a terrible take. I remember that. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that Lucas Alexander, outside of getting hit with a big right hand from uh, Jekka Sadegi, I don't see how he loses his fight, truthfully. Sadegi has like really, really good pop, and he's aggressive, but he's sloppy as hell. And his his sloppiness could result in, in success for sure. Um, but I think that the sloppiness you know, eventually is going to uh, be his demise, and I think he's going to get hit with a counter. He's going to get hit with a knee to the body. Um, and I think it's going to be all she wrote. I think Lucas Alexander knocks out Jake Asadegi. So inside of, you know, two rounds, Alexander finds finds a finish. And if for some reason this goes 15 minutes, it's going to be Alexander staying on the outside, being patient, picking him apart, and just uh, making it look easy. So uh, I like Alexander here at 9,300. Big right-hand moment for, for Jake Asadegi at 6,900, but I just don't think he's good. Yeah, I'm with you there. Lucas Alexander, who, by the way, was one of the fires that, that missed away. I've not seen an update. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll look and see if, if uh, anything has come out on that one. Next up, we got a female matchup. Puladova taking on Perez. Perez is a minus 185 betting fair, plus 155 for Puladova. Puladova, she's 7600 on DK, $13 on FanDuel. Uh, Aileen Perez, she's 8600 on DK, $17 on FanDuel, and she was one of the fires who missed away. Yeah, she she was one of the fighters that missed weight. Um, in women's MMA, I think a weight miss needs to be looked at and, and seen. Like, okay, was she terrible on the scale? I didn't think that she was bad on the scale. Um, I think she just kind of just miscalculated. Um, you know, I also think it's more difficult for for women to predict their weight week to week, month to month. Um, and I I think that Eileen Perez, with the tremendous wrestling upside she has the fact that even though it's a half a pound or a pound and a half whatever it was i think that you know it it needs to tilt in her favor because i like her wrestling and her top control to begin with now you're saying she's going to be the bigger fighter come come fight night anyways i like it i I like her here at 8600 the one worry anytime somebody misses weight is how's that cardio look in round three if it touches the third round i still think that aileen perez nicknamed now uh, Aileen or Magomedov um, because of her tremendous takedown upside and uh, what she did to Ashley Evan Smith and what she's been doing to everybody within the training room at, at Goat Shed Academy. I just think that she's in a smash spot here against Lucy Pudalova. Pudalova has the the uh, experience in the UFC. She's 3-6 and six in the UFC. But, uh, you know, Pudalova started to get away from her striking and start to incorporate takedowns and look for takedowns and, and, and all of that as she's developed. But like, I'm not high on Jocelyn Edwards. And when she was unable to beat Jocelyn Edwards, I'm like, okay, I think somebody can outwork her. Um, she had seven minutes of control time, but I think that Eileen Perez is going to end up in top position time and time again. And I don't think a finish is outside the realm of possibility. I think she's going to pound her out or just have a complete dominant decision. So uh, Eileen Perez, 8,600, Excellent value. It is women's MMA, so be careful. Avoid it if you're feeling uneasy, but uh, I think she's in a great takedown spot. And if she has a takedown prop, I think it needs to be above three. Oh, yeah. What is it? Two and a half. 
Yeah, that's oh, wrong. Smash the more. Uh, it Only- is. It is. If she goes out there and does what we've seen her do in her past couple of fights, yeah. she should smash this number. Unless she gets a quick finish. Yeah. But that's the only thing. But like more times than not, women's MMA goes goes longer. I think that's a misprice. I think that's a, a terrible line. Yeah, that's it's one of my top plays over prize picks. I mean, yeah. to me, if you're playing a two, three, she would be that takedown of two and a half more and two and a half would be up there for me. Uh, next, next up, we got uh, Nicholas Mata taking on Trey Ogden. Trey Ogden plus one fifteen minus one thirty five for Mata. Mata's a three hundred DK seventeen dollars on Fanduel, and for Trey Ogden, he's seven hundred DK fifteen dollars on Fanduel. Mentioned uh, this is a fight that's not getting overall uh, noticeable ownership, but like it's also a fight that I'm just like. You, you have question marks on both sides, especially with with the chin and Nicholas Mata. Yeah, you do. You do have question marks on both sides, and you know, I, I was I was so close to saying Trey Ogden is who I was who I was going to pick. Um, you know, he's a gym owner. He's smart. He's a coach. He's going to have the grappling. Um, you know, the 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 better grappling in this, the grappling edge in this bout. It's just. How often does he do it? Sometimes he's content to stay on the outside and stand and trade. And I think the better shots are going to be landed by Nicholas Moda. But Moda's durability is like non-existent right now. I mean, he's been hit, hurt, and knocked down in several fights. Uh, knocked out as well, Jim Miller. Uh, and then most recently, he was knocked out with that brutal elbow. Um, I still think we haven't seen the best of this kid, though. Like I, I really think that he's pretty good skill-wise. It's just he has to keep the fight within his skill set. Um, stay on the outside, chop away, hit good shots. Um, he was looking fine in the previous matchup until that elbow just completely sent him into sent him into the next dimension. Trey Ogden, not a KO guy. Could he find his first KO a guy KO against uh, somebody who's had horrible durability? Sure, but I, I think when you look at what Trey Ogden he does, he he, he looks to. You know, just do enough on the outside, incorporate some takedowns. Went one of nine in the takedown department against Zell Huber. One of four against Jordan Levitt. You know, zero one against Ignacio Bahamondes. I still personally think Nicholas Moda just wins. I think he wins two rounds. I think he wins a decision. Stays out of the outs. Stays on the outside. Stays safe. Part of a tr- a, a good camp at Extreme Couture. I'm gonna back Nicholas Moda here to win a decision, and a lot of people are not getting to this fight. I'm going to be a person who does not get to this fight a lot, but if you feel different than me, this probably is a uh, one of the fights that could you know completely turn the slate upside down. Yeah, it, to me, it's one of those fights with where we're seeing ownership that if you're in the the bigger GPPs, that to yes. me is, and if you're not you know a mass enter, maybe maybe you put eight, maybe maybe you're a single bowl player, maybe you only put maybe say ten limes in. To me, yep. this is what you know. If you're, you know, let's just say you're putting three limes in in the bigger bigger GPPs, like one of your lineups. Look at this fight because it is going to be a way to get different than the field. I mean, look, I'm not I'm not saying it's a fight that I'd love to get over 100 points in, in terms of the winner, Pete. But it, it's just more of looking at it from a a game theory aspect of how do I get different from the field if you know I'm getting into the big DraftKings contest and I'm not putting in 150 lines to compete, you know, with, with the people who are doing that, you know, who are, yeah, who mean, are getting to all the, who are getting to all the combinations. Right, exactly, and you see combinations all the time where. You had the right side. Like you had probably a more confident fighter win the bout. Say he scored 84 points. But then the winner of this 
uneasy fight, scores like 85.6, and then that 1.6 is the difference between first place and fifth place. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, don't don't be afraid to get different, especially in a volatile sport of, of MMA. Next up, our first fight of the matchup, another fighter who missed away to Rafael Estevan taking on Charles Johnson. Johnson plus 125, minus 150 for Estevan. Estevan, A200 on DK, $16 on FanDuel for Johnson. He is 8000 He is also $16 on FanDuel, Pete. Yeah, so I say you have to read into the weight misses. And Estevam, prior to the weight miss, probably going to be one of the most popular plays on the slate, uh, has tremendous takedown upside against a guy in Charles Johnson who's good at getting taken down. But he's also good at getting back to his feet. Um, you know, I, I don't think Charles Johnson has done himself any favors trying to be a company guy, taking a short-notice fight um, against Ode Osborne in Thailand. I mean, he's it was a split-decision defeat, but... I thought he should have won that fight if he if he went out there with the correct game plan and maybe full preparation. Uh, Cody Durden never really got going. Just you know, Durden's a, an exceptional wrestler with good control. Um, but like, if I if I tell you these numbers, it is impressive. Fourteen takedowns defended against Muhammad Makayev. Seven takedowns defended against Ode Osborne, and seven against Cody Durden. He gets controlled for a good amount of a fight, and then it's almost like the same story every fight has to work himself back into every round, um, whereas his opponents are usually the better minute winners. So this is a risky proposition. Um, Rafael Estevam, when I was looking at him on a scale, though, I didn't think he looked good. So all weight misses aren't created equal, and I think that the weight miss of Estevam as a flyweight, I don't know, it's a little interesting. And I just the body language, it, it was like defeated body language, um, like he had a really bad weight cut. It happens. Early on, I think the same upside is there for him. I, I think, you know, within the first, you know, round and a half, he has exactly what we're looking for for a takedown guy against a susceptible, you know, uh, a susceptible fighter in Charles Johnson. The issue, though, is that, like, from the second half of the fight till the final, final bell, that it could be an epic collapse cardio wise. Like, it could get bad and it could get really bad. Uh, especially as he starts to get desperate. I'm picking Charles Johnson here at 8,000. And uh, that was somewhat of a surprise for me. And it's not just because of the weight miss. I do think that he can defend takedowns decently well. Um, but it's not even... He gets taken down and he gets controlled or put in bad spots. But Estevam's so eager to the ground and pound... I think the ground and pound allows the space for Charles Johnson to work back to his feet. He's not necessarily a control-oriented grappler in Estebaum as he is like hunting for the finish. And I think Charles Johnson's really tough to get out of there. So uh, give me Charles Johnson at 8,000 to win a decision in a very greasy, greasy fight. It's almost like a live betting situation. Estebaum's going to take him down early. Charles Johnson's going to get hit like plus 200 or something like that. And then I'm going to live bet him. And then I hope that he comes back and he wins the bout because that's what I'm expecting to happen. My other favorite play on price picks, more than two and a half takedowns for Esteban. Yep. I, I, I just, I mean, look, Charles Johnson mm -hmm. just gets taken down. He gets right back yep. up. That's why, you know, in this matchup, if it, if you tell me this thing hits 15 minutes, I feel very confident he will get three, at least three takedowns. Yeah. And, you know, you could be right, and I can be right. He gets the three, and then he, he just gets dominated the, the second half yeah. of the fight. You know what I mean? So uh, Charles Johnson, just, it's, a, it's a tough stylistic fight, but he seems to constantly do this to himself every fight, you know, accepting fights against grapplers. 
Let's uh, move on to our straight-up fight picks here. Of course, these are non-DFS, non-betting related. Uh, main events, I will go with the favorite, Brandon Allen. Brandon Allen. Give me Michael Morales. Michael Morales. Chase Hooper. Chase Hooper. <laughs> you just hear a peaceful voice. Not a lot of confidence there. Uh, give no. me Talbot. Talbot. Uh, he boss. He boss. Uh, give me Orbi. All right. I'm going to go with uh, Medich. So that's our first disagreement here. Uh, I'll go JSP. JSP. Uh, Johnson. And Helliger. So um, number two there for us. Uh, give me Duncan. Duncan. You talked me into Machado. Machado. Yes. Yeah. Machado for me. Uh, Alexander. Alexander. Uh, Perez. Perez. Uh, I will go Trey Ogden. Okay. I'm going to go with Moda. And uh, I will go Esteban. I'm going to go Charles Johnson. So a little little difference there between me and Pete this week here. But, uh, of course, uh, we'll get into some listener questions here. I'll go over to Discord about some of those questions uh, that came in here a little bit earlier on today. Uh, Value plays under 8K on DraftKings and also FanDuel Cheapies. Uh, The FanDuel Cheapies, uh, the one that I think you really got to look at, um, it's not not necessarily cheapies. I mean, as I think cheapies on Fanduel, I think under fourteen dollars. But I think you got to look at the the Pierce Brito fight, which is sixteen fifteen respectively. I think that price point is really nice on that one. I think uh, you know Machado as a cheapie over there is, is another one to potentially look at. Um, you know, the first fight of the night, both of them being sixteen. I think that that's one to look at. Um, over on DraftKings, Pete, what's your thoughts about underneath eight K? Underneath eight K, I think it's like four fighters that I'm just. If I'm playing a 20 max or a 150, that's what I want to get to. I want to get to Joe Anderson Brito. I want to get to Chad and Helliger. I want to get to Jordan Levitt, who's probably going to be the chalkiest and safest underdog to not get finished. Um, and then the four, I'm going to go Kyle Machado, which is you know low-level heavyweight. And then the fifth, if I give you a fifth, is Trey Ogden. Um, but yeah, like... I think it's Joannis and Brito and Levitt's going to be everybody's, you know, one and two options underneath AK. But I, I, I like the Angeliger and Machado to get different. Uh, next up, uh, top two or three price pick plays and a Fanduel MVP. So here, here's what I like on price picks. Uh, right. My top two are both on the takedown side. Uh, Aileen Perez more than two and a half takedowns, uh, and the same on Rafael Esteban more than two and a half takedowns. The rest of these are more are more leans, not necessarily uh, picks here. Uh, more than a six and a half fancy score on Jose Johnson. More than ten fight time minutes on Jonathan Pierce. Uh, more than 80.5 fantasy score on Chase Hooper, and I have more than 10.5 fight time minutes on Michael Morales. So those are kind of what, what I like over there. What's Christian Leroy Duncan's salary on on FanDuel? Uh, I, have not, they, I have not seen one. I would Damn. imagine it's... I would imagine since uh, I'm just going to pull up FanDuel right now. When, when I was checking this morning, uh, they had not put up uh, salaries on that fight yet. Because so. if he's mid-priced the way that he is on on DraftKings, like he's he's a, an excellent play. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Duncan. Duncan is $21. Hmm. That's, that's what he should be, though. So um, and then, uh, by the way, so now uh, Oral B, or by, excuse me, he is $16. Uh, Medich is $15. Yeah, it's Medich. He, he's my contrarian captain over on, uh, contrarian captain over on FanDuel. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is my thing. And I mean, look, I think it ultimately depends on kind of what you're playing over there on FanDuel. Um, 
personally, I just don't play a lot over there on FanDuel. Um, yeah. Because, well, the price pools suck. Just, they just, do. <laughs> they don't help their product. It, it's really. I, if they would, like, double or triple, you know, th- those prize pools, I would be much more interested. You would think FanDuel's just starting off with how those, the, those the pr- player pools are. First place for their big one tomorrow is 4000 I mean that's great. I mean four thousand. I mean, I mean good, look, I look. I'm, I would gladly take four thousand dollars. Don't don't right. kid yourself. But but yeah, no man. I I just like as I look at the MVP. I mean, obviously, I understand why people are gonna get to Bray now. I understand why people are gonna get to to Talbot. Um, you know, if I was kind of looking maybe maybe a, under the radar. Oof. Man, um, I don't think you need to get cute on Fanduel like you do on DraftKings, though. Yeah, like, I mean, like going down and, I might and, look and at, finding I, a I, mid or low priced is just not. There's not a lot of benefits as there is on DraftKings, where it allows you better roster flexibility. Maybe it's just like else. play the best guy on Fanduel. Yeah. yeah, you know. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's just it, to me, this comes out. I mean, different. It's a Talbot play, play like like no no question. Just put Talbot in there. He's yeah. what 23, 25? What the hell is yeah. it? Yeah, uh, best uh, leverage plays. We've kind of mentioned some of the leverage plays. Um, you know, just kind of going back over, Eros Medic is uh, definitely going to be a value play, leverage play, uh, as what we're seeing right now. Um, you know, I mentioned about the the fight between Mata and Ogden just not getting a lot of ownership. Um, those would kind of be the ones that would stick out to me the most. Yeah. Can you believe Patchy Mix is only a minus 200 favorite against Sergio Pettis? Yeah, I think he that may be. That seems low. It, it does. We'll talk about Bellator because uh, I'll give you some of my thoughts I okay. have here. Um, best takedown upside to me, I, I look at uh, a- Aileen Perez to me would be the yes. one that I would look at. Uh, ranking the 9K options. We have a ton of 9K options this year. We, we pull my sheet mm. back up here. So uh, our 9K options here are Brent Allen, Michael Morales, Peyton Talbot, Amanda Hebos, uh, Mick Parkin, and Lucas Alexander. Uh, so... My number one, I I I think it would be Brandon Allen, just because I, to me, he's just a better martial artist. So I put him number one. I got Peyton Talbot one. Talbot would be my number two. Number three, I would probably, I would say Morales four, Alexander five, he boss six, Parkin. Yeah, I got Peyton Talbot, Brandon Allen, Lucas Alexander, Michael Morales, Mick. No, Amanda Hebos, Mick Parkin. So uh, to, to wrap up the show here, actually, we'll get into it. Let me uh, pull up the YouTube questions here, see if there's anything yeah. uh, that I didn't miss a little bit earlier here. Uh, okay. Uh, the Bellator. So um, I, I, I like a lot of favorites. I, I think tonight's gonna fe- is going to feel like a absolute funeral for Bellator. I will tell you, let me, I got to find uh, my it's guy, really CJ. Sad. So CJ is one of their PR guys. And uh, he tweeted this uh, about an hour ago. If you're a member of this crazy world we call MMA, whether it's as a fan, a hater, or casual observer, I hope you join us for Bellator 301 tonight. It's been a crazy ride to get here. Uh, I don't like that. Look, I, th- I thought. I, look, I thought Bellator 300 came off as a funeral. I can only imagine what, what tonight's going to be like. Um, yeah. But I, I'll say this: I've heard some things. I'm not at a point to talk about publicly, but I, I've heard some things, kind of where some things are going there. Um, but I, I will say overall, man, I I think it's Chalk City tonight. 
Um, the one underdog that does stick out to me is Rafion Stotts. Uh, I'm seeing anywhere from plus 100 all the all way up to plus 115 right now would be your best number over at MGM as I look over on best fight odds. Um, that the one that's the one that sticks out to me, even though I, I love Sabatello. Um, you know, but other than that, man, like. I, I think you got to be prop hunting on this card. Yeah. To find some so, kind of value. I like patchy mix over Sergio Pettis. I'm going to root for Rafion Stotts. I think what's interesting is the number on Sydney Outlaw over AJ McKee. Like, I think AJ McKee's really good. Mm-hmm. But I think Sydney Outlaw's wrestling and grappling is so damn good. It's almost like Jeremy Kennedy underappreciated where people just sleep on what he can do to people. Um, You know, and we see AJ McKee get taken down, but then like he submitted Darian Caldwell with like a non-existent neck crank. Like that's not a real sub. I'm just, I think the number's huge on Sydney Outlaw and I'll probably throw small money at it, even though I do think McKee's really good um, and, and might knock him out. Marcelo Gomes, a guy that's constantly underappreciated and finds a way to win because of his heavy hands and good jiu-jitsu. Uh, outside of that, like, I mean, you got Archie Colgan going to go out there and put on a show. and I, I'm excited. Like, I, I want to see it, but I'm sad. Uh, also, something to note, if you are betting uh, this one here tonight, uh, Shelby and, and Patricky, that is a five-round fight because it's a lightweight Grand Prix. Who knows what the hell is going on with this lightweight Grand Prix? You got Usman Ramagamadoff is now suspended six months by the California Commission. He failed his uh, fight night drug test because of a prescription that had a banned substance in it, did not get a TUE uh, for oh. that. So he's out six months, and Bellator has not said what they're going to do. Oh, God. Of course. What a bad look. I will tell you, here was the bad look, and, and I really didn't pay attention, but I saw some pictures. The fact that when they did the stare downs this week and Scott Coker wasn't there, that was pretty much, to me, a sign about what the, what the future is there. Um, I mean, look, patchy mix. I, I wish you can get a better number than, I mean, 218 seems to be about the best number that's across the board there. Um, if you sat there and, and took Sergio, I don't mind that one. But uh, that's a really good that's a, that's a really good band and weight fight. I, I think Amosov just... I think Amosov may be the best one seventy in the world. I think it's just like it's a tough fight for Sergio Pettis. I think he's just going to be out muscled, like I really do. And I think Patchy Mix to to win via uh, submission is like very very likely. So plus two hundred, I think, makes a ton of sense. I think he's going to rear naked choke him. Look, I mean, if you just want to be crazy, I'm, I'm just I'm just doing the math here. You know, we, we know what the Bellator prelims are like yeah so i'm just i'm just doing a parlay here if every favorite on the prelims what kind of odds could i get here let's see here you should uh, yeah do it inside the distance for every favorite <laughs> yeah uh let's see here if you took every betting favorite and they all came in cash it's plus four thousand really <laughs> of course that's i mean good bro it's like a 17 fight card tonight Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> be careful because yeah. somebody might ruin that. But yeah, I mean, I, if you want to throw like five saying. bucks on it, you know, just say, you yeah. know, you know, you know, just throw, you know, you just want to have a little fun there. But yeah, that's, that's the way. I mean, look, it's just, you know, you know, there, there's a reason some people in this industry have called it the human sacrifice hour. <laughs> it's for locals, man. It's for, it's to, to build up the prospects and, 
or or the local guys. But oh, yeah, no. I, I'm gonna be really sad. Like Bellator has been amazing to me. I, and if they're I, really gone, I'm gonna be very very sad. You know, look, it it is, and I've said this. I, I think as a a fight fan, we're potentially going to get some fights that we could not have seen. Yeah, under the the current situation. Mm-hmm. But I think at the end of the day, it's not great for a lot of fighters. And we have no. seen Bellator really trim their roster over the last three or four months. If you've, yeah. if you've really noticed, they've been doing a lot of 15, 16, 17, 18 fight cards. Yeah. And clearly, it's about getting fighters to fights. And there, there's a lot of rumblings out there. If this PFL deal ultimately does happen, what the PFL will do, um, you know, there, there, there's, there's various rumblings out there of, of what's going to happen. But I, I think at the end of the day, it is for the, the upper end of the Bellator roster, it's probably a good thing. The lower end of the Bellator roster, it, it, it's they might yeah. find themselves, you know, and and I think what's gonna what'll be interesting to see what happens is does PFL change their mindset on putting local fighters on cards to sell tickets because, you know, I, I, I talked about this last night. I know Dana White gets ridiculed for the comments he said about co promotion. But he dropped some truth bombs in his speech last Saturday night about the fact of PFL can't sell tickets. I mean, and it, 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 like, look, I mean, I want to see the PFL, PFL succeed. It's a god awful TV product. I mean, it's god awful yeah. to watch. I mean, it's I mean, look, it's can't. it's not, it's not, I mean, they don't have pacing like Wilder versus Nganu was, or Fury versus Nganu was. Yeah. But the pace, it, it's just, I, I, I watch it after the fact. Yeah, you have to. And, like, it's crazy to me that if you're not doing well, with live attendance, at least be a, a perfect TV product. And it's like neither. It doesn't fit the category. Uh, uh, I like you. what they have, but like they, they got to switch a lot of stuff. Like So one of their cards in Atlanta earlier this year, I had a manager the next day call me. And he goes, dude, he goes, I was there. He goes, it's awful. He goes, yeah, nobody wants to sit there. He he goes, we're literally like 20 minutes between fights. And he goes, yeah. I'm sitting there going, like, you got people in this building. He goes, not a lot of people. He goes, so you got people in this building. Like, they want to see fights. Like, they mm-hmm. don't want to just sit here and as you go through filler price. That's why next week, that pay-per-view, they haven't announced the pay-per-view price point yet. Um, you know, you've got seven fights on the pay-per-view. Five of them are title fights scheduled for 25 minutes. Could be a long night. Yeah. It's crazy, though, how, like, they have that pacing, but yet their fights finish within three minutes. You know what I mean? Like, so you wait 20 minutes for a three-minute fight, 20 minutes for a two-minute fight. It's, like, it's just, it's terrible. It's almost like if, like, the, if Bellator prelims put a half hour between each one. It just would not make any dude, sense. Dude, anyone's been to a Bellator prelims, it's like right. one fight ends, hey, we're running these other fighters out. Let's go. As soon as they're picking people off the canvas, the next guy's walking in the cage. It's bad. They, they, they get, like, they're still clearing the blood off. Yeah, you're getting chewed out. I was like, bro, I remember one time I'm like, dude, I'm getting a photo. You guys can back up. I'm getting a photo. Like, I'm telling you right now. <laughs> oh yeah it is yeah especially when they know they're on that time crunch before tv hits and they're trying to get that last prelim in yeah. oh yeah I, I i'm like i ain't moving get me a photo 
dude. I, it, yeah, and and it's like it's great to be a major ticket seller for Bellator, but it's also bad. Yeah. Because of all of a sudden you could find yourself warming up, and they're like, "Hey, Pete. Um, hey, buddy. How you doing? Um, you can stop your warm up because uh, you're not out fighting until eleven thirty. Yeah. So, so I'll tell you real quick, and before we get out of here, this is what happened to me on uh, one of my Bellator fights. Um, let's say they went live on TV at nine or whatever. Uh, you know, they they had a block of time. Where they're like, all right, you're, you know, this is where you got to be ready. So we were warming up from like eight thirty, eight o'clock, to be ready for that nine nine thirty call. Um, fights went short. Thought that I was going to get put in as a as a filler, um, you know, as a as a swing bout. And then uh, one of the fights went just like a hair too long, and then I got pushed to after the main event. So I was warming up from eight o'clock to eleven o'clock. <laughs> Um, and then I didn't go on there till 1145 and then the fight I won in 11 seconds, but that's besides the path. That's besides the point. I was just like, everybody's like, dude, calm down. I'm like, dude, I don't know. I'm just ready. I'm treating this like a training session right now. And for me, I do better the more I do rather than the guy who's sleeping and just wakes up and fights. I, I, I have to get into a rhythm. Oh God, I've heard stories where there'll be guys that will say, like literally he woke up 20 minutes for his fight, chugged a coffee, and went out. Can't do that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not, I'm I'm a guy. I lay down, I'm out. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> they do not let me lay down. I'll, I'll be out. But uh, as always, we appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode uh, of the Fight HQ podcast. Of course, we'll be back in two weeks. No UFC uh next week. We'll have that PFL card, so we'll be in that Discord channel next week if there's maybe yeah. any bets that we like. Uh haven't uh, really taken the odds to see what those odds are gonna be, but uh, I will say that Ray Cooper the third, Derek Brunson file, probably the fight that has my eyes the most in terms of where that Ooh. is uh, on the betting odds. 185 pounds. Uh, Ray Cooper, um, he's been sitting on the sidelines because he doesn't want to make 170. And so he's basically been uh, asking for a fight for about nine months and finally got finally got a fight. Yeah. Yeah. He's we'll see. Got that struggle on the scale. Yep. Yeah, so now now being at, at 185 pounds. But, of course, uh, in two weeks from now, we've got that Darius versus Sarukian card. Of course, that'll be the fight night card there in Austin, Texas. So we appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the podcast. And we'll talk to you right here on two weeks on the Fight HQ podcast. <laughs>